No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light then no, and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light upon you. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash his hands before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, for what is inside you? Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves do not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets who have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. To please his father, a student went out to do athletics. He had absolutely no athletic ability whatsoever, but his dad had been good at at running the mile in his day. So he did it anyway. And his first race was a two-man race, which he ran against the school's one-mile champion. He was very badly beaten. Not wanting to disappoint his father, he wrote home and he said, You'll be happy to know that I ran against Bill, the best one-mile runner in school. He came next to last, whilst I came second. The truth and how you tell it is an interesting thing. You can say what you want with facts and figures and you can, well, you can be creative with the truth, can't you? But Jesus was always teaching about the truth. And this whole passage that we heard earlier, it's about truth and what we do with it. Jesus taught many groups of people and some of them would listen and respond to the truth that he told whilst other people would reject it and ignore it. And here we see how the Pharisees are responding to what he has to say. 
In Luke 11.33, he teaches his listeners about the proper response to the truth. And he tells them a parable of a lighted lamp. Saying, no one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see the light. You wouldn't light a lamp and then hide it away, would you? If you light a lamp, you do it for a reason. And it's usually so that the lamp provides light for whoever is in the room. You wouldn't invite people round to your house, turn on the lamp and then hide it away and sit in darkness, would you? If you were to switch a lamp and put it in a cupboard and hide it away, it wouldn't be of any benefit whatsoever to anyone in the house. It wouldn't serve a purpose if it was hidden away, would it? And in this case, the lamp represents the word of God. The lamp represents the truth. The light represents the truth. When someone accepts the truth and happily receives it, they should share it with others instead of keeping it to themselves because other people are searching for the light. But Jesus told his listeners that the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. And when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. You see, when the eye focuses on the truth, the body is filled with light. But when it focuses on evil, the body is full of darkness. It kind of makes sense. And so Jesus is warning people to be careful about what they allow into their eyes. He's saying we need to choose what we learn carefully, what we spend our time doing, watching, listening to. Everything that we do influences our lives. Equally, if we choose well, our entire lives can be filled with light, just like a house filled with light from a good lamp. And here's the thing. Everyone there listening to Jesus had every opportunity to respond to the truth. He spoke to them many times, and each time he shared the word of God with them. But so many of them still chose to ignore the truth, and they spent their whole lives living in darkness. And interestingly, it was straight after this discussion about light and dark, about what is the truth and the things that we focus on, that Jesus went to the house of a Pharisee and pretty much tore apart their whole way of doing things. The Pharisees were people who rejected the message that Jesus offered and instead they believed themselves to have the light whilst others struggled on in darkness. And so we have Jesus accepting an invitation to go to dinner at the house of a Pharisee and this is where things get a little bit heated. As we know, Jesus wasn't one for doing things just because it was expected and one of the Pharisees was surprised that he did not first wash before dinner. You see, they developed this ritual of washing before dinner, which is no bad thing in and of itself. But it's the way they did it that was a problem. They made up their own rules and regulations about what they should do, and they insisted that people followed it to the letter. It included the exact amount of water to be used, the kind of vessels to be used to pour from, the way the water had to be poured, and loads of other things like that. Stuff that wasn't in the Old Testament. Stuff that they had made up themselves. And Jesus didn't do it. We know he was aware that he was expected to do it because he'd done it earlier on in Luke. But here he chooses not to because he had a lesson for them to learn. Something that might be welcome refreshment when offered as a courtesy. 
becomes a burden when posed as an obligation. You see, when Jesus didn't wash, he got their attention. And through that, it gave them the chance to compare the care that they take with pots and pans and cleaning things that don't really matter with their lack of concern when it comes to caring for their hearts. The Pharisees took a lot of care and attention when it came to cleaning things on the outside, but on the inside, things remained unchanged. And what Jesus was trying to get them to realise was that it's not about image, it's not about how things appear, it's about what's going on inside. It's about their hearts and the state of their hearts. So this meal got off to a bit of a difficult start. It didn't go the way you'd expect a meal in polite company to go. It started when Jesus chose not to wash before dinner. And then it ended up with Jesus telling the Pharisees a few truths that they needed to hear. In fact, there was a whole list of truths that they needed to hear. And as we know, they were completely consumed with outward ritual and numerous man-made traditions, but they didn't really care about people and how they were doing. So when Jesus perceived that this man was disappointed that he hadn't um, washed his lack of respect for their rituals, he said, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? They were strong words. He called them greedy and he called them foolish. The word used for greedy was one that can mean violent greed, extortion even, and plunder. And the word used for foolish was willful ignorance. They're strong words that Jesus said to the Pharisees. And the thing that he was getting at was that the Pharisees were unteachable. They wouldn't allow the truth or the light of Jesus into their lives. They cared only about how things looked on the outside. And so their religion was full of rituals and things that they had to do, which will have took some learning and will have took some dedication, but didn't make a difference to people's hearts. Their religion was shallow yet legalistic, and they were unwilling to listen to what anyone else had to say. Let's never become unteachable. None of us have got things perfectly right. So let's be open to the fact that we all still have so much to learn. If we ever get to the point where we're unwilling to learn from others and we only care about how things appear, then we've got it horribly wrong. And that's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. And he goes on to you know, keep on saying that they've got the priorities wrong. They care about things that don't matter, They neglect the things that do, like love and justice. They were very careful tithers, and I wouldn't dare say that that's a bad thing to do. Of course, it's a good thing. But they took too much attention over stuff like that and missed out on what they should have been focusing on. It's easy for us to fall into the same trap too. If we find ourselves more interested in the type of coffee we drink or the size of cup we drink it from, or whatever then the truth that Jesus offers us, then we've got it wrong. If we uh, care more about the things of week in and week out and stuff that, yeah, it matters, but it's not ultimately important. If we care more about the practicalities than we do about our relationship with Jesus, then we've made a mistake somewhere along the line. When we worry about pleasing people rather than pleasing Jesus, then we've got that wrong too. Because when we're living in relationship with him, it's him who sets our priorities. 
It's him who guides us and leads us and sets our minds on higher things. Let's never focus too much on unimportant things, at least not at the expense of things that are more worthwhile. The Pharisees cared only about how things appeared to be, and they were full of pride. They wanted the best seats in the synagogue. They were um, for superior, people with superior knowledge, and they demanded respect from people. And when Jesus challenged them, he called them arrogant. You see, they realized, uh, they relished even the honor that came with their flawless obedience to the law. They allowed themselves to be thought highly of, and rather than focusing people's minds on God, they focus people's mind on themselves. Let's make sure that whatever we do, it's about pleasing God, not pleasing people. When we worry too much about what people think or say, then we're missing the point. We need to make sure that it's Jesus that we're following him, and it's him and him alone that we seek approval from. You've probably heard this story before, but there was a young English pianist, and he gave his inaugural concert to a full house in a London hall. His music was brilliant, and when he finished, the crowd gave him a long-standing ovation. Young and shy, he retreated backstage, and the stage manager urged him to return for a bow and an encore. But the pianist refused. The manager insisted, the entire audience is standing and clapping for you. You must return to the stage. Not everyone is standing, the young musician replied. There's a grey-haired man in the balcony who remains seated. The manager peeked out and said, you're right, but everyone else is standing. He makes no difference. Don't worry about him. Just go back out there. The young pianist replied, he's my teacher. So refused to go out. You see, we don't live for everyone else's approval. Living a worthwhile life means that we live for God's approval. The Pharisees sought approval from the wrong places. Let's never fall into that same trap. And Jesus pronounced a warning to the Pharisees, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men walk over them are not aware of them. He's really not holding anything back. He's saying it as it is, isn't he? Well, let me tell you another story about um, the Queen Mary, which was the largest ship to cross the oceans when it was launched in 1936. Through four decades and a world war, she served until she was retired, anchored as a floating museum and hotel in Long Beach, California. During her conversion, the three massive smokestacks were taken off to be scraped down and repainted. But on the dock, they totally crumbled. Nothing was left of the three-quarter-inch steel plate from which the stacks had been made. All that remained were more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the year. Steel had completely rusted away. When Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, he meant that they have no substance, only an exterior appearance. The Pharisees had mastered covering up their inward sins through doing external works in order to appear spiritual before others. However, Jesus declared them to be dead on the inside, much like an unmarked grave. But also, there's a bit more to it than that, because touching a corpse made a Jew ceremonially unclean. In fact, it was the worst thing for spreading uncleanliness. Pharisees thought that they'd become unclean, even if their shadow touched the corpse um, or a grave. And because of that, an unmarked grave was a dangerous thing, because you could step on it and become unclean, without even realising. 
And that's why tombs were whitewashed from time to time to warn people where they were. The Pharisees lacked their whitewash. They were unmarked. Associating with them, Jesus implies, would make you unclean. And his point is that while they consider themselves pure, they're actually not. And they're misguiding people, the people that they come into contact with. Now you can imagine what the atmosphere was like at this meal by this point. Jesus was not holding anything back. He was saying it exactly as he wanted to. And I reckon that the Pharisee would have been embarrassed, angry, worried, loads of other things all at the same time. But he didn't say anything, and a lawyer speaks up instead. He said, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. That's probably not a good thing to say. He just turned Jesus' attention to him. The scribes, um, Jesus replied even, and you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You see, the scribes had held people accountable for obeying these man-made laws. Jesus condemned this kind of legalism. He said they were no better than those who'd killed the prophets of God. In fact, instead of sharing the truth, they'd taken away the key to knowledge. And they'd hidden beneath all these man-made rituals. And that was a huge burden for people to keep. He made it very clear how he felt about these people, did Jesus. Not a dinner party I think I would have liked to have been part of. But it's not unlike Jesus to confront people who he knows are in the wrong. He was particularly passionate in this case because the religious elite of the day were neglecting the needy in society. They were glorifying themselves and not God and they were taking no care for people. They were simply worshipping themselves they had rules for other people that they didn't keep themselves and in verse 52 it says woe to you experts of the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge you yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering they hinder people entering the kingdom of god because people look to them for guidance they're the ones teaching people to do this that and the next thing when actually none of it was relevant They got so caught up in trying to get people to obey their man-made rituals with entirely the wrong focus because it's on them, not God. In actual fact, they were getting in the way of people having a relationship with God. They withheld knowledge from the people and because of the things they imposed, they prevented people from meeting with God themselves. People who were actually interested in knowing more got bogged down with these laws and rules and regulations and never met God because of it. That's the kind of legalism that Jesus spoke out against. Consider the story of Hansa Taylor. Because of his reputation, an influential entrepreneur visiting the city ordered a tailor-made suit. But when he came to pick up his suit, the customer found that one sleeve twisted a way that it shouldn't and another one twisted the wrong way too. One shoulder bulged out and the other caved in. And he pulled and he managed to make his body fit. As he returned home on the bus, another passenger noticed his odd appearance and asked him if Hans the tailor had made his suit. Receiving an affirmative reply, the man remarked, Amazing, I knew that Hans was a good tailor, but I had no idea he could make a suit fit so perfectly to someone as deformed as you. Often... That's what we do in the church. We get the idea of what the Christian faith should look like 
and we push and shove people until they fit that mould, until they fit our idea of what it should be. That's the kind of legalism that restricts and gets in the way of people having a relationship with God. And whilst I'd like to think that we don't make those same mistakes these days, we need to make sure we're never too focused on the unimportant. Never too worried about the stuff that don't really matter, that we lose touch with God. We need to make sure that we don't lose our focus. It'll have been hard for them to hear what Jesus was saying. And when they had a chance to respond, they became angry and they were waiting to catch him out with what he might say next. The scribes and the Pharisees just didn't understand that the inward man was just as important as the outward man. But without a change of heart, there can be no real change of action. Time and time again, we see Jesus reaching out to the least in our societies. He's not interested in accumulating a group of followers who aren't serving those who society don't want anything to do with. He doesn't want people to put on a show and allow everything to appear to be perfect when it's not. Jesus wants you to serve him with the whole of your lives and the whole of our hearts. He doesn't ask for meaningless rites and rituals. He wants our genuine, unreserved worship. Imagine how those people felt that day when Jesus confronted them. It'll have been painful for them to hear, no doubt, but it will have been challenging too. Jesus is interested in that which is unseen, the state of our hearts. Our relationship with him is what matters. Yeah, it matters what we're like with other people, but what we're like on the inside matters more. One final illustration. Robert Redford was walking uh, one day through a hotel foyer. A woman saw him and followed him to the lift. Are you the real Robert Redford, she asked, with a great excitement and smile on her face. As the doors of the lift closed, he replied, only when I am alone. It's not... It's the real us, not the us that other people see, but the us when we're alone that Jesus is interested in. We're not meant to put on a show for other people. It's our hearts that he cares about. Jesus confronted the Pharisees and now the challenge comes to us. It's possible for us to shut Jesus out of our lives and carry on with our comfortable ways because things might seem okay on the outside. But the other option is a lot more difficult. The other option involves Jesus confronting our way of life and us making sure that our hearts are right with him. As we thought about so many times before, when you invite Jesus into your life, you have to be willing to give him everything. And that's a dangerous thing to do because it might just change everything. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you um, that you care for us enough to put us right when we're going wrong. Help us to focus only on you and to care about our relationship with you above all else. We thank you uh, that you care for each one of us and that you want to have a relationship with each one of us too. Amen. Let's close our